What a time of the year. Great time for the traditional songs that really, you know, most of the time we like contemporary stuff, new stuff, shiny stuff, but there's something about the Christmas season that it's okay to go traditional. With the singing or uh, with, uh, with, with food, maybe it's the breaking out that recipe uh, that the family only breaks out once a year. Or you, we get to spend time with people that we love and people that we don't love. Or we have a hard time loving. We're told to love everyone. So we, we love them, right? Uh, blink, blink, wink, wink. Uh, you know, so we love them, but uh, we get to spend time with them. And so it's a part of it. Another tradition that I've always enjoyed are the Christmas lights, especially when the neighbors put the Christmas lights up and I don't have to put the Christmas lights up. That is the greatest thing ever. So please continue to put your Christmas lights up and tell me where you live and I will come by and admire. I said that in the first gathering and a little boy, I don't know how old he was, about that age, and he came up to me and said he gave me his address. So I got a house to go to this week to check out his Christmas lights. So, but uh, Lori and I were on a cheap date the other night and uh, a cheap date because it cost us nothing. We turned on Christmas music, we drove around, we watched y'all burn your electricity and we loved every bit of that. So uh, anyway, the, the, the whole festive time, but nobody can beat the Christmas lights in the land down under, okay? There's a, there was a family up in Jersey that was able to get about 300 and something thousand lights in their front yard, but this family in Australia put up over half a million lights. Guinness Book of World Record holder for the number of lights in the yard. There's a wow factor in that that I can't even imagine, and I'm sure their neighbors love them to death because 70,000 people a year during Christmas season will come by their house to see that world record. And so it costs them an additional $2,200 just to light that baby up. Uh, and so... That's a wow, that's for sure. That will create some awe, that will inspire or annoy, I don't know, but hopefully maybe increase some wonder. You know, whatever we want to find wonder on, we can find it. Light shows, wonder. Yeah, create wonder. We're in this series called Wonder because we're trying to level set wonder, okay? It's not about the tinsel and the trees and the lights and the gifts and the family traditions as much as it is about the wonder of Christ. And parents, we have a job to do. And it's a big task for us in this world is pulling the wonder of our kids in so many different directions is that we need to steer the wonder, Okay, steer their wonder in the right direction. Steer it towards the right thing, the right meaning, and the right light of Christmas. So think about it like that. But I know, parents, we need help from our kids. And you know right now when you've got young ones, everything is exciting, everything is new. We need our kids to restore the wonder of Christmas. As we point them to the wonder and you explain this birth and you explain God coming to earth and dwelling among us, that will create wonder. I promise if you do the Advent Guide, if you spend time with this season and focusing and steering them in the right direction, that will create wonder. And I pray to God that it will restore the wonder inside of you. That's what we're aiming for in this series. And we're t- what we're doing, if you just joined us, you weren't with us last week, we're looking at several Christmas stories. The one Christmas story in Matthew and in Luke, really, that's the one Christmas story. But we're looking through the lens of multiple people, actually multiple angles and visions and, and perspectives, if you will, on it, different genders and races and ages and socioeconomic and even geopolitical 
different boundaries and, and where the people are from. We're looking through their eyes at Christmas story and we're understanding it hopefully better. Now, here's one of the things I want us to understand as you look at this, as we look through their lenses. Every one of them is going to have a life-altering wonder experience with God. Every one of them will either change the trajectory of their life or the pathway of their life, and some of them both. The trajectory of their life, where they're heading and the, and the speed in which they're going and what they're focusing on, and also the path that they're on in life the path that they're taking in life. And we're going to see it in every single one of this. You will see common ground. You will see diversity, age, gender, race, socioeconomic. But you will also see wonder and you will also see life change. And that's what I want us to see restored in us as adults going back to that. Because whenever you look at even just last week, Joseph's story, Joseph was heading in this direction. He was going to divorce Mary. He heard Mary's story. Don't know if it was believable to him. He was ready to give up on her and divorce her quietly and move away uh, and let her kind of go on her own ways. But in the night, he has an encounter with an angel. The angel gives him a different narrative, a different story. You remember that from last week? And there's a 180. He's going this way. He goes this way. He's heading to divorce court. Now he's going this way. I'm going to reconcile and I'm going to do what God wants me to do in this situation. It changed his path. When we follow God's leading, it will change your wonder wherever you're going and heading in this world into wonder. It will change how you see life, how you experience life. It will change how you value life and what is really important to you. You look at Mary today is who we're going to study. We did Joseph last week. It was only appropriate that we do Mary this week. And as you look at Mary, you see the wonder. You feel the wonder. When you read Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. That was not a casual, flippant, yeah, I've heard the Christmas story. That's not not just a passerby kind of response. That is, I kept these things. I cherished these things. I meditated on these things. These things were a part of my thought processes. And so whenever you look at, that's Luke chapter 2. We'll be there next week. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. So be finding Luke. We were in Matthew last week, Luke this week. We're talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, Probably not new. If you took a test or gave a test to anybody who was the mother of Jesus, I would bet that nine out of ten Americans, even if they don't believe in Jesus, don't worship Jesus, they could answer that question. Who is Mary? Some people have made Mary on one extreme or the other. They made her nothing. She's just a simple woman. That's all she is. Well, actually not. Okay, she just happened to give birth to the Son of God. That's a pretty big deal. Okay, she happens to be called multiple times in the same passage, both blessed and favored. Okay, so if you're blessed of God and favored of God, that's a pretty good status. Okay, that's what that, I want those to be said of me that God has blessed you, Mike, and God has his favor, his hand of favor on you. That's what I want. But that's one extreme. The other extreme is they deif, they, they, they make God into a, uh, into a, a Mary into a, into a God like where she becomes divine. They venerated her to where she is somebody you pray to. 
Never in Scripture does anybody ever pray to Mary. Never is it encouraged for us to pray to anybody except for Jesus. There is one mediator, Paul told Timothy, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. So we pray to Jesus. That's how we connect with God. There's one mediator between the two. So wherever those two extremes are, we're going to try to aim for somewhere in the middle. She's not just an everyday woman but neither is she divine. Somewhere in the middle is where we want to land with that. So let's begin reading and just kind of get some background on this so we can kind of warm up to this. Uh, so beginning in verse 26, chapter one, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Now, let me pause here. If you were here with us last week again, you're going to hear some similar common things. There's an angel involved, there's fear involved, there's a vision involved, there's messages involved, there's lots of similarities. I'll try to point those out as we go. Now, the difference between Mary's encounter with an angel and Joseph's encounter with an angel is Joseph's angel doesn't have a name or doesn't know the name. It's not recorded in Matthew, but Luke's is. It's the angel Gabriel, all right? Sent from God to the city of Galilee, uh, Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, that was common with last week's message, betrothed, that's a common ground, to a man whose name was Joseph, again, agreement. I'll point these out. Let me point this out. I point these out because these are two different stories, two different stories. They're two different recordings. Matthew's written his over here. Luke's written his over here. And they're both fully aligning with each other. So what I want to say is we have a very aligned book in our hands that tells of a similar story all the way through. From the house of David, and virgin's name was Mary. Now, you'll also notice in this passage, he will mention that she's a virgin multiple times, really trying to emphasize that. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Didn't call her divine one, called her favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, that's a pretty big deal. Basically, inside of you, Mary, right now, you found favor from God and God is in you. All right? The Lord is in you. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Greatly troubled at that saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting might this be. Basically, it's like, this is pretty heavy for a teenage girl who's just betrothed, not married yet. This is pretty big. And we went into that last week. So I'm not going to spend much time with that other than to say that she had a lot of pressure on her. She was living in a culture where you were stoned to death. All right, not the weed stoned, okay? Uh, the, uh, you were stoned to death for, for committing adultery. All right, so that's, that's the world in which she's living in. And, uh, and so, sorry, I've got myself off track on that stoning statement. <laughs> Let me go back to the word of God. (laughs) All right, verse 29. But she was greatly troubled. Okay, verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Now remember, Joseph struggled with fears himself. Mary, for you have found favor with God. So again, and again, he's pointing out this statement. Verse 31, uh, he goes on, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Again, a common ground between the two of who this child is. An incredible story. How does Mary respond to this? Well, she has lots of questions. 
She literally asked Angel Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, uh, I went to that class where they taught us how babies are born and I'm not, I haven't been. So how is this going to happen? And Gabriel explains it to her that this is a miracle birth. Okay. And it goes on. And then what's her response? How did she land? Verse 38. And Mary said, first words out of her mouth, by the way, first words out of her mouth. She said, behold, behold, listen up. She's getting everyone's attention. She's getting her attention. She's getting the world's attention. She's getting her very first response recorded down. And she says, behold, that is a very important statement we'll come back to. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be uh, to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So this is something that she is at. Now, where does she go from here? She tells it to her, uh, her aunt uh, that she knows is pregnant. And again, I don't have time to go into their story, but Elizabeth is expecting. And so she goes to Elizabeth and spends her first trimester with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth greets her. And when she greets her, the, the baby inside of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, jumps whenever Mary and the baby Jesus comes into the room. Verse 41 and verse 42. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. This is what Elizabeth said when she saw Mary. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Again, just that first act of worship, that first act of acknowledgement. It's a pretty exciting time as this wonder is beginning to fill up the heart. Wonder happens to us. And when it happens, it fuels worship in us. Worship is something we use a word around here. How does it happen? How does worship happen? How do I drum up worship? It comes out of wonder. And that's why we've got to restore the wonder inside of us. Here's a life principle for you. Worship is always an inside out expression and experience. It happens inside of us and then it comes out of us. That's exactly what happens to Mary. Her first response and then her second response, we're going to see in the following verses. But we're going to see the very first Christmas carol ever written. If that's ever asked to you in a Trivial Pursuit game or whatever, or if you're ever on Jeopardy, now you know the answer. All right? So it was written by Mary. It's called the Magnificent. And it's the first, the reason it's called that is because in the Latin Vulgate, the very first word is Magnificent, or what we would call Magnify, which is exactly what Mary does. Look at verse 45 to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate. Oh, by the way, notice that she called out to God as her Savior, Jesus as her Savior. Even Mary, she was not divine. She had sinned. She needed a Savior. My Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. These are the words of Mary. And behold, now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. The holy is his name and his mercy. It's not just mercy on me. It's his mercy for those who fear him, those who respect him, those who look to him. And then what happens? From generation to generation. And then he goes on. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with their thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, for about three months and turned and then returned home. So for the first trimester, many people believe that when, when Mary had this encounter with Gabriel, before she told Joseph a word, she tells it to Elizabeth. And she spends the first trimester with Elizabeth. And then she comes back and she will tell Joseph the story. What do we learn? What do we learn from Mary? More than just she writes the first Christmas carol and she's moved and she's declaring these things. What's she going through in her mind? Other than all the emotions and all the body changes that are going on inside of her, what is she filled with? She's filled with wonder. What's her response when she's filled with wonder? She turns to worship. How do we worship? Whenever we're filled with wonder, because wonder fuels our worship, Here's how I worship. Here's how, here's how you worship. Here's how Mary worships. Is my life is given in service to God. My life is given in service to God. Now, let me just point that out. When Mary was shoulder tapped by Gabriel, hey, we want you to bear. No, in fact, didn't ask him. You're bearing the child of God. You're bearing the son of God. The Lord is in your womb. What does Mary say? You know, Jesus, thank, or God, thank you so much, you know, but I am really, a, I'm really a young person. And I really have other things I'd like to do with my time. Or, uh, you know, God, that's going to make my body change, and I'm not ready for my body to change. Or, uh, hey, God, you know what? It's going to make me uncomfortable, and I don't really want to be uncomfortable. All these excuses that maybe we might come up with of why we can't serve the Lord with our life, they're nowhere even mentioned. In fact, the very first response that you get from Mary is she's saying, I am a servant of the Lord. I am here to serve the Lord. God can take my body. Look at verse 38 again. I mentioned this real quickly. He puts this, inter- she puts this interjection into the conversation. Behold. It's used 187 times in the New Testament. It's this idea of stop the train, stop the presses, turn off the news, turn off the noise, turn down the phones. Everybody walk into this room. I got something important to say. Behold, listen up, no interruptions. What does she say? I am a servant of the Lord. I am willing to give my life to serve him. There's an attitude of I am willing to offer up myself. If God wants my body, if God wants my time, if God wants my life, he deserves my very first and my very best. I have said for a long time that worship is best defined whenever we give God our first and our best. And for me, this is my mantra. I, I have to think, Mike, have you given God, the first day out of every week, the first moment in every day, the first dime out of every dollar, and the first consideration out of every decision? I have to think, I have to ask myself that. I think we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to give God my first and my best? When she said, I'm willing to be a servant of the Lord. I'm willing to take my life and put it out there and be available. She uses the word doule, 
which is the word where we get the word servant from appropriately, which if I'm serving someone, I'm doulos, I'm serving people. She uses the, the noun form of it to say this. If you want to put a name, a title on me, do this. My title is servant. I don't have to have a high and mighty title. I'm a servant. I'm a slave to my Lord. That is the attitude. That's the response of a person who has encountered the wonder of God. My question to you, when's the last time you've been in wonder of God? When somebody shoulder taps you and says, hey, we, we could use your, your skills, your, your, your giftings, your talents, your, 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 your growth in the faith. We can use your, 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 your heart and your passions. We could use you to serve in kid, among our children. What do you respond? I don't have time for that. I'm doing other things. Or, or is it whenever, whenever it's like there's an opportunity to serve among our, our student ministry? Is that one of those things? That you, yes, I'm, I'm first in line for that. I say, I don't have time for that. I got other things to do. We have had a mantra around here for 14 of the 18 years that you serve one, worship one. That literally, that, that's how we, how we live. That, that we're breathing out, not just breathing in, we're breathing out. Where do we see this modeled? Throughout Scripture. Write down Romans 12, 1 and 2 and read it when you get home. Where he's going to tell us that our spiritual service of worship Spiritual service and worship go hand in hand. Whenever you look at Mary, what is her, what is, what's her first response? The first words out of her mouth is, I am a servant of the Lord. God, whatever you want, wherever you need me, wherever the greatest, uh, greatest need is, we don't want to just put warm bodies in cold spots. We're not trying to have a daycare for an hour while you come into worship. We serve one worship one. Because we need to pour into the next generation. Because I don't want anybody to open up a door for, any, for themselves in this building. I want people opening up. I want to serve Java in Jesus' name uh, out there. And so when you think about whatever you see, it takes 298 people on any given week just to serve our community that comes through Grace Point Church. 298 people who are willing to say, I'm willing to serve. Put me in. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to be a servant of the Lord. Worship is always an in, inside out expression and experience. Yes, you experience worship, but you also express worship back to God. My life is given in service to God is exactly what Mary says. The second thing Mary says is my life is given in praise to God. This is where I exhale. I in, I, I, excuse me, this is where I inhale uh, the, the presence of God and then I worship him. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. I'm serving him when I exhale and I'm inhaling him in, in praise. I'm taking him in. And whenever you look at what Mary does and when she writes this first Christmas carol, she is literally expressing her worship to God. And it is a total body experience expression. Whenever you look at this, you find in verse 46 and verse 47 an interesting little phrase there. She said, Mary said with her body, my soul with her, with her mind and her will and her emotions, with my spirit, eternal being. She literally draws on three different parts of her 
existence. When I say worship is a total body, total life experience, she is worshiping with her lips, her body. She is worshiping with her mind. She is worshiping with her very spirit, her eternal existence. Now that's important. Why do I say that? Because you are made up. You're a trichotomy is a theological term. You are a trichotomy. You are three parts in one. And here's the thing. I have a body. You're looking at my body. You're hearing my mind process right now. But you're also inside of me and inside of you is a spirit. And we are to worship him with every bit of who we are. Whenever you think about your body, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this, May the God of peace himself sanctify, okay? Sanctify us. Sanctify you entirely. How is he going to, what all parts of my life is he going to touch? May your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved, complete, without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he wants us totally worshiping him with our mind, our bodies, our spirits, everything that is inside of us. That's exactly how Mary worshiped him. And when you go on and you read the scriptures in Isaiah 20, verse 9, it says, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. Another verse, if you don't engage your body in worship, listen to this, clap your hands. All ye people shout to God with a loud songs of joy. When you come in this room, let me give you worship lesson 101. All right, come in here with your whole body. Come in here with your whole mind. Come in here with your whole spirit. Let me tell you a true story. One, one of our deacons was sitting up in the loft, up in the rafters area there one day, up behind some people. And he told me this afterwards. He said the person was on their phone looking up how to mix drinks at the bar during the worship service. I have to ask, was that person fully present in worship? Not. Body, soul, and spirit. Are you fully here? Are you ready to clap your hands, all you people? Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Let your body, let your spirit worship him. Worship is always an inside-out expression and experience. But worship is also from generation to generation. It's a total life, my life into somebody else's life. My life poured into somebody else's. I don't have time to read it. In fact, I'm going to stop at verse 50 today and give you the challenge to read the next five verses on what else does Mary write about in her song, uh, her first Christmas carol. But you'll notice in verse 50, he says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. From generation to generation. Say that with me. From generation to generation. It is incredibly important that we understand that this generation that might be in wonder of Jesus, there is no guarantee that the next generation will be in wonder of Jesus. Unless we, in this generation, are committed to make sure that generation gets the wonder inside of us. So this is a call to all adults, all aunts and uncles, all parents in the room, anybody who is above that, let's, let's say the generation has any generation below them. We have a responsibility in this generation to make sure the gospel gets to the next generation. There's no guarantees. Look around the world. Look, in, look into the nation of Turkey. 
the most densely populated Muslim population in the world with the fewest number of Christians in the world. The nation of Turkey. Now hang on to that. Turkey was formerly Asia Minor, was formerly where, G, where Paul started his missionary journeys or did a lot of his destination of many of his missionary journeys. He, it was where Galatia churches were. It's where, it's where Colossae and Laodicea and Ephesus and Pergama and Sardis. It's where Smyrna was and Thyatira was. There were great gospel witnesses in that area today. Virtually zero. Because this generation over here, some point in time, failed to transfer it to the next generation. It's one generation, Christianity is one generation away from being extinct. And we got to understand that as I worship, as I'm filled with wonder, I've got to make sure I transfer that wonder to the next generation or it will be lost. I love some great missionary friends of ours. When we were in Zambia, they were in Zambia. They're now, they, they are now focusing on New Day Orphanage. An orphanage that we helped to start years and years and years ago. And I want to show you some of the faces, because our Christmas offering this year is going to them. I want you to see some of the faces of some of the kids that live at that place, New Day Orphanage. Now here's, and, and while you're looking at these, and these will just scroll through for a few, few, for a few slides. I want you to just zero in on one of their names. Maybe it's Joy. Maybe it's Justin or Lulu or Lastin. Maybe it's Maggie or Meshach. Pick out one of them and pray that this generation gets the faith to that generation so that when the Wilcox and the Tidwells started that New Day orphanage, this is what their vision was. I thought it was a pretty bold vision. Their vision was to raise up Zambia's next generation, leaders, teachers, doctors, uh, professionals, and they would be raised up in the village of Africa, in this compound called an orphanage. They would be raised up to be the next leaders of the nation of Zambia. That's a vision from this generation to the next generation. There are stockings all around the church. Take one of these, and just like you hang your family stockings by the chimney with care, I challenge you as a family to hang one of these by the chimney with care. Put it on the tree. Ask your kids, how are we going to help children that will never see Meshach, Joy, Lulu? How are we going to help them be the next generation that follows Christ? Because we have to have a level of vision for the future that sees that this generation has got to make sure the next generation gets it. George Truett, longtime pastor of Dallas Church, he said this, Christ was born in the first century yet he belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, yet he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, yet he belongs to all countries. We got to make sure that this generation worships God so well that we're serving him with our lives, we're worshiping him with our lives so that the next generation doesn't miss it. Let me tell you a true story and I close. Because next week, we're going to have some celebration time. It is Baptism Sunday. I, my, one of my favorite Sundays anytime we do this. When we do this, we always have stories to tell, stories to celebrate, and we're going to have them next week. But one of them I want to share with you this week, 
They couldn't wait. The, the literally, Hunter could not wait. Um, the story goes is that several weeks ago, in preteens, okay, in one of our ministries where people are serving in worship to God, um, Daniel Franklin was able to share with Hunter about the gospel. Thank God that his mother and dad are faithful to serve and to be a part. And Jennifer is, and literally was just serving in the last hour and she's in this room right now. And Lee, they're faithful to bring their children here and hear the gospel so that this generation gets it to the next generation. And Hunter heard the gospel at 12 years old, gave himself to following Christ, but he was so excited about his faith that he said, and even though we had this baptism coming up, he could not wait to be baptized. And he was willing to go out to a Bella Vista Lake on, I think, Thanksgiving weekend with other family were, were in town and be baptized in the cold waters. And then here, yeah, give him a hand. Give Hunter a hand. What, what, what little 12-year-old Hunter told me in that story is that he is going to worship God with all of his being. His body, his mind, he knew what was the right thing to do. His body was willing to get into a cold lake because his spirit inside of him was celebrating the new life of Christ. You see the beauty of that? And it happened because a Daniel Franklin, a Tyler Coffey, and others were serving and investing in that preteen ministry. And it happens to your children because Jennifer's been investing in your children the last hour. You see where all this ties together and how this is a beautiful thing that comes together and it comes together because of Christmas. So I want us to close today in anticipation of next week. For some of you in this room, you're at that point. You've never given your life to Christ. You never have declared your faith in baptism and you are ready. And it's just a matter of your next step of obedience is that right there. Give your life to Jesus, follow in baptism,